Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, right off the start, I'm going to throw it out there. I am not a huge fan of Valentine's Day. I find it's a hallmark commercialized holiday where people feel pressure to buy something pretty or expensive, to go out and get an overpriced meal at a restaurant, and be reminded that they need to appreciate the people around them. I truly believe that those actions need to be done every day in the just because category. Um, I also ache for those who actually are alone and without a partner on this cruel celebratory holiday. So I'm just going to put it out there because I know this podcast is going live on Valentine's Day. But with that being said, I also thought this was a great time to talk about that relationships and love and longing and communication and everything in between. And so I'm really excited to have our guest today, Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, joining us. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And for more information, you can check out extensionmarketing.com. Tracy, so nice to have you here. Thank you so much, Leanne, for having me today. I'm excited. Uh, and I thought like when I was going through what you do and what you talk about in your sessions and then your mm-hmm. podcast, it was almost like, okay, there's going to be a ton to talk about. There's so much to cover. I'm really <laughs> excited to sit here with you. <laughs> Can I just ask like first off, like couples therapy? I mean, that's really your specialty. Yes, that is. I have been training in couples for over 10 years and it is such a passion of mine to sit in front of two people and at some point to help them feel connected and bonded and happy. I've got to think, you've got some days that are easier than others. Yes. Is that right? Like, do you know when you're in for a tough session or do you know when you're in for almost like the graduation session that you've seen this transformation? Absolutely. Um, Seeing the presentation of someone sitting in front of me and where they're at and what they're presenting with, um, people who are struggling, right? And we know that the change doesn't just happen overnight. Um, Change takes a long time. So I know when that couple is coming in and I know when they're in a really tough place and I just prepare for it. Hmm. Okay. How did you prepare for this? How did you end up? I, this is my favorite. There's always a reason <laughs> how someone ends up yes. where they are. Yeah. It's such a big question. Like, were you like the, were you like the friend that everyone called when they were going through, you know, a breakup? Like, what was yeah. it? Yeah. Actually, you know, funny I was, I'm, I'm the younger sibling. So my mm-hmm. sister's five years older than me. And we used to joke all the time. She'd come to me and she'd call me Trey and she'd say, Am I dating this guy? What's going on? Um, but I think like many healthcare providers, I wanted to help people. That would be a common response. But the other piece about me is that I have always been so curious about people, curious about what they do, why they do it, um, the thoughts and the feelings behind what they're doing, what's motivating them. And being a natural observer growing up, um, just watching dynamics between people. As one person says something, the other person responds. All the friendships, all of our relationships are such a key part of us. Uh, can I, I – I'm uh, 
you know, because I know you've listened to some of the yes. podcasts. I'm going to get personal. I'm going to ask questions. Go like, it. did you grow up in a loving environment? Like, what mm-hmm. was that relationship like that you were that you were surrounded by? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say it was a loving environment. Now, so here's the thing, and I did think about this because I figured you were going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> so we all get messages growing up, whether it's from our caregivers, our parents, our siblings, um, or the media, right? Now, my message personally was that I was too sensitive. And it's well-intentioned. I know why I was getting that message, right? Build that thicker skin, go out into the world. But the challenge is that we take this message and we take it to mean something about us, like there's something wrong with us. And somehow I need to change. And I had that growing up. There's something wrong with me. I'm too sensitive. Be thicker, be stronger, whatever it was. Um, I think most people listening to this could relate to that, that they're, they have been told that they are too, too what? Too needy, too controlling, or maybe not enough. You're not enough of this. You're not enough, enough of that, right? We've all been told those things growing up. So you had that sense, loving environment, but you were too... To something. To something. To something. Were your parents' relationship, was that a strong relationship? Was mm-hmm. it, um, how would you characterize that and, and how you saw the roles being played of how mm-hmm. relationships? Yeah. I mean, I think they had a normal relationship in the sense that they fought and and I really want to emphasize that right from the start, a normal and healthy relationship is one where you fight with your partner. My parents fought. I can remember sometimes something being thrown or someone walking out the door. How normal is that, right? People do that. And I saw it growing up. Mm-hmm. And then what I also saw was that there were times where they would come back and talk about things and other times they didn't, right? We're perceptive as children. We pick up a lot from watching other people around us. I think it depends, you know, like you can ask somebody who's a, a child of divorce mm-hmm. and they're going to have a very different answer yes. than the one that you just gave. Absolutely. Right. Right. And I would think that that's going to show up in, in a therapy session. Oh, definitely. Because while you said arguments are normal and that you could throw, you know, mm-hmm. and you could throw things, well, there would be a child of a divorce that they're going, no, no, like, it, no, 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 no okay. I don't want the throwing things is not okay. Like, no. and that led to, you, Absolutely. you know, like there's, it's such a different perception mm-hmm. coming based on what you've experienced. Right. So then that I think leads into something really important so that when somebody has a secure attachment with their parents, so security meaning that they know their parents are there for them, they know that their parents will respond to them and that they are consistent in their responding, that with that secure model, that then I can look back at my parents and say, hey, yeah, they did the best that they could with what they had, Mm -hmm. right? But you're absolutely right. It's not okay to throw things. It's not okay, right? But but that someone growing up with that environment would learn that this is how they are in relationships and this is what you do in relationships, right? When you're growing up, so you have this environment and you know that you are always observing and Mm -hmm. looking at people. And when you're choosing education, what was the program then? Like where did you Mm. where did you then follow that path to be able to lead you into the clinical you know, space that you're in now. Yes, absolutely. So I have a PhD in clinical psychology. And initially, I had thought I would go into medicine and become a psychiatrist. So still kind of on that wanting to go into the mental health field. And psychiatry is is very different than where you ended up. Yes, I would think. Yes. Okay. Um, 
And that's partly to blame for, this is a bigger conversation, but this is we have partly to blame for our, our, our OHIP, for our, our medical system, right? That um, psychiatrists have um, the time to, they, they don't have as much time. They have to see a lot of patients. They have to prescribe medication to, to see the high demand, right? Whereas for psychologists, we are a fee for service. We're not covered by OHIP, most places anyways. There are psychologists that work within the hospital Mm -hmm. that it's covered or in family health teams now, which is fantastic. But psychologists are a fee for service. And so there's much more time to sit with clients, to sit with them for an hour and to really get to know them. And I would say that psychologists also, again, I'm veering off, but I'll come back to what you asked. Um, Psychologists are trained to look at an individual in in many different perspectives. So unlike, say, pharmacology, where we're looking at a chemical imbalance, we look at individuals through a social, a developmental, a relational, emotional, cognitive perspective to understand how their difficulties are, or what's contributing to their difficulties, rather, and how that's being maintained. And then, as a psychologist, tools um, to help them change, right? We're trained in evidence-based tools to help people change and live a healthy life. So to get there, I did an undergrad in psychology, and then I went on to my PhD in clinical psychology. So the decision was made pretty early on when you were looking at psych um, to do psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the avenues in that you wanted more time with patients. I wanted or- more time, and I will be honest, I didn't want to cut people open. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my first year at Brock University in psychology, and I was signed up for this special program they have that actually is meant to gear you towards medicine. And so we toured the hospitals in the city and talking about what does it mean for surgery and what kind of rotations you would be doing. And the thought of cutting someone open was just not going to be on my <laughs> on my plate. That was a pretty check. That was an easy check. Yes. Okay, we're going to veer yep. in this direction. Yes. What was your favorite subject? In that system. Mm. Relationships. Of course, it's relationships. Was it in between partners? Was it between parent and child or sibling? Mm. I mean, when you look at our world, we establish relationships with so many different people on so many different levels. Yeah. It was mostly with couples. I did my research, um, my honors program. I did my research with couples then. And it was at that time. And initially, actually, I was really interested in developmental psychology, thinking I'd work with children. And then something shifted for me, seeing the dynamic between two people, seeing how important your significant other becomes. um, That really spoke to me for who I am as a person and what I wanted to do later on. Okay. I I am going to get personal on this because it fascinates me. I would think people are wanting to go into a into a session with someone that Mm -hmm. they think has a healthy, stable, good relationship with their partner. Do you feel that pressure (laughs) that you better be kind of presenting like, you know? Right, of course. Like how do you maintain when you want to be, you know, strangling your partner's neck and yet you're coming in, you know, how do you you portray that? And I know that there has to be confidentiality, Mm. but – I would be the first question I would want to know. What's your relationship like? Right. So if you were coming to see me for therapy, if I'm coming to see you for therapy, I want to know that things are just you know hunky. Are they hunky dory in behind your closed doors? You know. So I want to answer. (laughs) 
here she goes around the corner. <laughs> so I want to answer that in two ways. So the first way is that when I'm in the room with my clients, I'm objective, that I'm not thinking about what, my, what what is going on in my relationship or does this remind me of something my husband does or, um, you know, what just happened with my child that day or that kind of thing, right? So I'm very objective. And actually, I got feedback from a client recently. I worked individually with them and they said, I was surprised at how objective you remained to both of us, even though you were only working with me. Right? So it's the objectivity that I think is really important when you're going to see a psychologist. You won't know stuff about me unless you look me up, which I don't recommend always doing, right? I'm on social media. I'm on a platform to help get therapy out of the therapy room. Um, and what do you mean by that? You're, you want therapy out of a therapy room? I want to reach more people. I think that therapy is expensive and it's timely and that people want more information and people are on social media. So why are we not sharing things, evidence-based tools on social media? People will go and read a book, right? So that's also the piece that I want to be able to do is to reach more people. People will go and read a book. I mean, I go into an Indigo chapters. I mean, there are shelves upon shelves of self-help and I know it's, you don't even know where to start. You and know. it's like self-help on this and on this and on this. And then that brackets down into like 20 different subdivisions of what you think you might be dealing with. And Leanne, who are you reading? Does that person have training behind what they're talking about? Right? I want to use my training to be able to reach more people. So how are you hoping to do that? I know that you had mentioned, and I mentioned it, like you, you have a podcast. Is yes. this a platform to be able to come up with a topic and just you talk about it? Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. So it could be a topic that might be a theme that's coming up with a lot of my clients in therapy, or it could be something that people struggle with a lot. Um, I, I just recorded one on boundaries, right? How often do people struggle with saying no to somebody, having a boundary, asserting yourself? Okay. So let's get on to some of these topics then. Okay. The first one being Valentine's Day. Yes. And did you want me to go back to the couple piece to answer that? Oh, yeah. Do you mind? I don't mind at all. Okay. <laughs> I put a pin in it. So, hey, here's the thing. I am human and I <laughs> there's this really cute uh, video. It's a cartoon of Brene Brown. I recommend everyone go and look it up. It's called Blamers or something like that. I will raise my hand and say, hi, I am Tracy. I'm a blamer. And even when my husband's not home and I something happens, I'll say, ah, he did it. <laughs> you know, of course he did. He didn't put the laundry away or whatever it might be. We struggle, right? All couples struggle. It's so normal. But the difference that I think what happens for us is that I have all of this training to be able to say to him, okay, look, you're getting defensive and I'm getting really angry and we're not able to work through this. And I know that our nervous systems are firing like crazy. Let's take a break. We will come back to this later. And we'll do that, right? But we still get into moments that are tough. Mm -hmm. We still struggle. Does he ever say, are you analyzing me? He doesn't say that, but all of his friends do. <laughs> <laughs> all of his friends wonder if that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Okay. I want to hit on some of these topics because there's like it. a – and there's like some acronyms. There's a whole bunch of things I want to yes. get through. Perception of Valentine's Day. I mean, I, I mentioned it right off the top. I find it's um, – I do find it it's incredibly a hallmark holiday, mm. but what is your perception of it? And if you, I mean, we're not taking your clients per se, you know, but the experiences that you have, the pressure that people put on themselves mm -hmm. for it or not to do it, or for those that are struggling because they're alone. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, you're hitting it right on the head there. People feel so much pressure to celebrate their relationship on that day when actually we should be celebrating our relationships every day. And the research shows that couples are happier when they get married because they are more forgiving to their partners. They give more grace and permission to their partners to make mistakes. And that actually that's at times where we need to keep doing that all the time and not just when we get married, not just on Valentine's Day, right? We need to have that respect for our partner. We need to have the um, giving each other permission to forget that the laundry's there and that we missed it or to not pick up the phone in an, in an emergency. Um, we are human and we make mistakes. So staying with your partner every single day and knowing that you are a team is so important, not just on Valentine's Day. And for people who are alone, yeah, I mean, what, what's important about the day to them? And do they have to celebrate it, right? We know that some of this stuff just comes from our marketing, wanting us to believe that we have to participate in these things. Listen, I spent a lot of time on television mm -hmm. uh, in the three weeks leading up to Valentine's Day, pushing everything yes. from, you know, the restaurants and the crafting and the flowers and the gifts and the gifts and the gifts right. and the gifts and the gifts and and. Right. <laughs> I would look at my producers and I'm like, oh my God, More. you know, and then I would just sometimes I'd be doing these segments and then thinking about the people that are at home kind right. of lonely. And I'm like, I want to be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. And for you husband over there, bring flowers home just because. Right. Do, the, just, do that just because. But it's a different, we all have so many different outlooks on it and what our expectations are. And that piece there too is that oftentimes people will say, <clears throat> um, bring me flowers. And maybe that's not what you want, right? That we miss each other. What are your expectations of Valentine's Day? Is it flowers? Is it this, you know, fantastic meal and dinner? Is it all of that on one day? Or is there something else that you mm. really wish for, that you long for? And can it, can we use Valentine's Day even as an opportunity to talk about what are things that are missing in your relationship and what are things that you're longing for to happen and how could it be different? Do you see an increase in bookings or appointments after Valentine's Day? I don't know. I'm just mm. thinking about this, but that mm -hmm. it's almost on that day that people realize we're missing something. It's usually after Christmas. I see a really big increase in referrals and um, length of my waiting list after Christmas. A lot of couples just push through and get through the holidays and then they make a decision in the new year. That this is this is what needs to be worked on. Yeah, we put this off. Yeah, we we did our our family vacations. We did our family holidays. We did all the gift giving. You know, we focused on maybe the children or whatever it might be. Now we have time. All right, we need to address this now. I read in one of the articles that you had on your website. It was more like when the the, the young couple walks in, right? Mm -hmm. And you and you can tell by the look as to who's initiated. Yes. And who's following it. Yes. Yeah. Um. Hmm. What's the question there? What is what is the demeanor of the person that you know is initiating the conversation or the one that's coming in reluctant or mm -hmm. who starts the talking or how quickly does that evolve mm -hmm. by one person feeling that there's issues and then the one that's then all of a sudden it's like regurgitating, like it's just endless. 
Right. Yeah. So usually there is one person that tends to be maybe a bit louder in the relationship. Um, We know that when we are studying couples and the dynamics that happen, 80% of the word we use in the research is blamers um, or pursuers, but 80% of the person who falls into this category or this type of dynamic in the relationship tend to be women. And that's often because they are the relationship holders or they are more vocal about their emotions and their needs. That's why. So oftentimes it is women, but then the other 20%, it is men. So going into the dynamic of what I see in the room, that there's one partner that is reaching for something, that is wanting to have that closeness and can't get it from their partner. And so they're trying to do anything possible to get it. It's like the analogy of knocking on a door. Hello, are you there? Knock, knock. I need you. Where are you? You're never there for me. Why can't you just do the dishes? Show me that you love me. I'm angry, right? So that's that's sometimes that person that starts in therapy. And the other person who is maybe more quiet, maybe a little bit more withdrawn, they have a lot going on under there as well. But sometimes They don't know what to do in that situation, that they've actually shut down because of the anger that they see in their partner. And so they don't initiate that and they just try to keep quiet or, you know, I have some clients that might say, you know, I just try to tiptoe and to not get her angry because I don't want to see her angry or I don't want to see that person angry. They're tiptoeing, walking on eggshells. Yeah, I've right? always used that. Or they're defensive. But the, the thing though, so here's the dynamic that happens, is that the partner is looking for connection and reaching for their partner, and the other person shuts down, maybe is defensive and scared. And the more that person shuts down and withdraws, the more the other partner knocks on the door and says, hello, are you here? Let me in, Right. And so the thing that all of my couples hear me say is that neither one is to blame. And I want to hear from both of them in that first appointment and throughout our work together because I know that in relationships, they get into this cyclical dynamic. It is a self-reinforcing cycle that they're not able to get into. As one gets angry and upset and reaches, the other shuts down and gets quiet, which results in the other partner getting more angry and upset. That in itself is, you know, how many people are just sitting back going, this is exactly, this is our dynamic at home. Right. But you said that and it got me thinking because you're like, hello, are you there? Mm -hmm. Uh, The dishes, you know, you're starting to list off things that you're looking for. And that brings me to what I remember and people talking about was was this language of love. Mm -hmm. Are they looking for communication? Are they looking for touch? Are they looking for chores? Are they looking for gifts? When do you realize when it, what it is? Or do you even believe in this? You know, like it was like a massive social media call out, right, for a while. And the five love like, languages. What, like mm-hmm. what language are you? Yes. Did you see that? Did you read it? Did you have clients coming in? Like what was your take on it? Mm-hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. 
I think that knowing what helps your partner feel good is really important, whether we're going to call it a love language or not. And what I really like about the love languages is it's a it's an in to help couples talk about what feels good for them and what they need. It was a starting point. It's a starting point. Okay. Yeah, I, I would call that like the first level of okay. what we need to do, right? <laughs> Talking about your expectations. Um my husband knows that I would talk about this story, but I had I had the flu once and I one of the things I would say to him is like, just do anything for me. Just show me you love me, right? And so I had the flu and he calls my sister and he says, well, what should I do? Should I go get her new bed sheets? Should I go get her a new light? <laughs> so his love language is being able to gift and to do things, right? And to this day, he'll go and do the dishes, which is great. But that's not mine. I don't need the dishes, right? I want to hold his hand. I want quality time together. So it's a good starting place when you're in a relationship. How do you speak about love? What is it that you give? We often give what it is that we want. That was the key right there. Yes, right. We often give what it is that we want. Instead of asking our partners, what would make you feel really good? What would make you feel important? How, How often are those different you know, is it most of the time that one person wants to receive in one way mm-hmm. and then have to realize that their partner wants to receive in a completely different way? I would say that they're probably almost always different. I don't know the research on the love languages in terms of the matching between partners, but just knowing about the most common um, dynamic that we see in relationships, I, I would probably guess that they're different, right? One partner might want closeness and comfort while another partner needs to know that they're just okay, when should that question be asked? Like at what point mm. of, a, of a growing relationship do you really ask that question? How is it that you feel most loved or would want to be loved? Mm. Why would you wait? How, when's, a, when's an ideal time? There's never an ideal time to have these Well, no. Conversations, and like I but, knew on my second date with my husband, we were getting married, right? Yeah. So it was like, okay, let's just oh, start you the had diet. such a strong connection. Yeah. yeah. One of these days, I, you know what, I'm going to be bringing in my husband, I think, for, yes. for a podcast yes. soon. And I do think that we need to have that, you know, because everyone, people, people ask know. the story. It's of like, course. they're like, what? So, but you know, it was, it would have been a discussion mm. that started early. So you had that conversation early. I think so. I, I think it just played itself out. We could read each other so well. And it became very evident mm. that I was very much like you. Like if I was, if that was me with the flu, he would know to just like rub me. Mm. Like from my feet, right. like you know, for me, that's that's what would have done it. I didn't mm. need a new bed sheet, right? But did you need to talk to him about that? No, I think we just kind of figured that out. Oh, I think, yeah, because I don't we- think we've ever had that discussion. All although we have the discussion that we, purchases gifts is not necessary and needed. So I would say that you yeah. are having those conversations yeah. without saying, okay, hon, I've got this book. Right. <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs> I don't think we ever actually did it. Yeah. It's just we kind of figured it out. Right. And so I would say that you probably both have this high level of respect for each other and that you're comfortable with each other and you probably turn to each other a lot to talk about the good things and the parts that you're struggling with, right? So that you know that. But there's never – it's never too early to start saying, hey, you know, I, I get that you're planning all these fancy dinners for me, but I just need some time to hang out together. Could we do that? Which leads me into something really important. We don't talk about our emotions and our needs. We really don't. Do we do it with our girlfriends? Do we do it with our parents? Like, who are we having that discussion with? No, no one. Maybe with your therapist. There's something that 
is so profound when I'm sitting in front of clients. And people come in front of me and they say, I have anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, you know, maybe they're suicidal, they're panicked, um, stress at work, stress in their relationships, a breakup. And Leanne, at the core of what I'm seeing with people are two things. The first one is, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I enough? And the second one is, do I matter? Do I matter to the people who I care about, who are in my life? And what I've noticed is that we all experience this. And the challenge is that we don't talk to other people about it, which is ironic because in this world, we, we are more connected than we have ever been. With social media, we are more connected. I know, but we are connected in such a false reality. Am I allowed to say that? Yes. You feel like you're connected, but it's to a person's highlight reel. It's not to a person's reel every day. Absolutely. So it's a false sense of what's going on around them. Right. And then there's something that stops them to say to their partner, I'm really struggling. I don't feel good. I feel overwhelmed and I really need help. And there are people who will sit in front of me and say, I've never talked to anyone about this. I can't tell my partner because they won't understand that people are isolated and they're really struggling with knowing if they are enough, if they matter. Ask me, I want to ask those three questions again because it was, am I worthy? Mm-hmm. Am I enough? Yeah. So that's do about worth. Yeah. yeah. And then do I matter? We all long to know that we matter to the people in our lives. How? I mean, and this isn't sitting in an office, but how does one go through those questions or are able to ask those questions or express them with their loved ones Mm -hmm. so that they can maneuver themselves out of feeling this way? Out of feeling like they're not connected. That they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we started recording, you started talking about the A-R-E conversation, mm-hmm. right? But so yeah, it was like acronym A, like R, A-R-E. R. Yeah, A-R-E. So Dr. Sue Johnson, she's local to Ottawa. She's the co-creator of Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. She talks about the A-R-E conversation and it comes from an attachment theory background. So A, are you accessible? Do I believe that I can reach to my partner and I can say, hey, I'm really struggling R is for responsive. Will you respond to me when I come to you? And E is engaged. Do Am I interesting? Do you want to sit with me and talk about this? If you're able to answer yes to the R, there's mm-hmm. a good chance this relationship has a, has a chance of being fulfilled and being successful. I'm assuming if there's a no to two out of three it might not be working. It might not be. And maybe they're struggling and maybe they need help, right? And so that would lead us to talk about feeling insecure in their relationships. So if you can have an ARE conversation with your partner, you're likely feeling really secure. You have a if secure You can even have that discussion with them. Right. Absolutely. Right? Can I, can I turn to you when I'm really struggling? Will you respond to me? right? Will you listen to me? Or will you will you just dismiss me and say, oh, you know, get over it. It's fine. You think that's a hard day? Let me tell you about my day, right? And are you engaged with me? And we know from the research that couples who are um, insecurely attached are more likely to have distress in their relationships. I 
I, I have friends right now, and I think I'm at the age where relationships are starting to break down. <laughs> Is it safe to say sometimes it's okay to let it break down and move on and then try to find that success with someone else? Is there a point sometimes where you can go through all of this and yes. and that there's an acceptance now of there's a different way people are loving and are growing mm. and women especially. Yes. And I know you do a lot of work with women, but women's self-worth and what they're yeah. contributing now to their own independent lives has shifted the way we see marriage and relationships than we did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Absolutely. And I will say that there are many people who do say, you know, I want to stay in this relationship for the children. And it's not enough. It's really challenging to only stay in a relationship for one reason, right? That you need to have all of these parts in a relationship. You need to feel like you can connect with your partner. And it's okay. We're coming around to this more of this acceptance that the first person you marry is not going to be the only person that you spend your life with. And that more and more people now are choosing to be in relationships for love and not just for the other piece, right? That maybe it was, you know, who you were at that time, or maybe you got into a relationship because, hey, you know, they're a physician and that will su support me in some way. Um, you really like their career or whatever that might be. Yeah, relationships are changing. And more so for women because we don't want to give up our roles, right? We play all of these different roles in our life, wife, mother, career, all kinds of other things, you know, community. And that if you're going into a relationship and you know this about yourself, um, having a partner that also knows that about you and wants to support you is really important. And I will say that if you're going to go into a relationship hoping that your partner is going to change. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go on this. Yeah. I think I, I think I've read enough Instagram quotes. <laughs> oh, how many other people go? And I mean, it's like endless. Yeah. And you know, like girlfriends are sending them. You know, every, everyone's sending each other quotes, and you know, depending on what you're going through, you know, it's right. like these quotes upon quotes upon quotes. And then you think, okay, right. this is the one. Yeah. And it, I was like, okay, this is a sign. I just read this quote. Okay. Can we okay. talk about that for a second? Let's, that, sure. That's because, called a confirmation bias. Okay. okay. What, right? okay what is that? You okay. know, yeah. Let's, oh my god, the signs. I saw the signs. Yeah. Okay. okay. So a confirmation yes. bias is something that your brain does. Yeah. Um, and it's to make our world easier. It's to make us function faster. A confirmation bias is that you have a belief and so you look for things to confirm that belief. We do it in relationships. Okay? So we're looking for the signs. We're looking for a confirmation or something. At times we do. And it is important to be aware of that, even in a relationship. So if I have the belief that my husband never puts his socks, my poor husband, if he never puts the socks in the laundry, just as an example, okay? Then every time the socks are on the floor, I, oh, there he is again. He never does it, right? And I, I believe that he's not helping me in the house. But I don't see that actually he put the laundry away that day and he did the dishes and maybe he helped with meal prep or he's like been planning something else or he's stressed at work, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, right? So I confirm what it is that I believe he doesn't help around the house. Oh, look, the socks are on the floor. So we do this even with the Instagram post. When we see something, we're like, right, there it is. See, this says it. It confirms what I'm thinking. Or when people are looking for a sign or a song or 
anything mm-hmm. like you know oh the rainbow came out that means you right. know like the yeah. birds chirped as the song came on like <laughs> you, like do you know what I mean like yeah it's like sometimes you just hear these things and you're going you're looking for sometimes signs. we do absolutely instead of learning actually to trust ourselves right our body has so much information but we've learned throughout our lives to tune it out and to not listen to it and not listen to our gut when you say that then what are we listening? What do you want your patients or mm. clients to – when you say listen to yeah. your gut? Yeah. Um, our mind is so busy. We have something on average of forty to 50,000 thoughts a day, which is pretty unreal when you think about it. Forty to 50,000 thoughts a day. And if you're to sit here and listen to all of those thoughts, you you can't possibly make a decision. So, for example – you know, oh, my belly's kind of gurgling. I think I'm hungry. I wonder what I'll have for dinner tonight. And I wonder what's going on at home. And when I have to pick up the kids and oh, what about that work, right? Mm-hmm. So our minds are really good at telling us all of these stories. And what happens though, is that we stop tuning into what we need in the moment, what's present in this moment and how we feel. And so sometimes that means, okay, you know, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm, I'm feeling shortness of breath in my chest. Maybe I'm stressed or, oh goodness, I haven't, you know, I'm thirsty. I have a headache. My shoulders up around this. I haven't had water all day. I'm going to go get some water. So listening to our bodies, our body tells us a lot of things. The piece to that though, is going back to the messages that we're told early on. We are told to not listen to our thoughts and feelings. We are told to don't show your emotions, put them away, hide them. Don't feel the fear, just go do something else. Don't don't sit with pain or sadness, go do something else, right? I'm even thinking of my son, he's three and a half and he's been struggling going to swimming lessons, it's just not his thing. And so sometimes he cries and that's okay. But then one day he says, oh mommy, I'm not going to cry because if you cry, you get kicked. How does a three and a half year old learn that? emotions are dangerous. And we learn that so early on. And as a three and a half year old, we think that's so sad. But then for a 45 year old male and he's sad and how normal it is to feel sad. And he doesn't listen to that. He pushes it aside and just keeps on working, staying busy, keeping people distant. So he's not listening to himself. But instead, if he could tune into feelings, sadness, what it triggers in your body or triggers in your gut, right? Sadness tells us to connect with people. I need a hug. I need to sit with my partner. I need to talk to somebody. That's what I mean by listening to our bodies. Okay, I've had a lot of guests in the studio. I feel like I'm in like a zen, like Tracy, your voice. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like I'm sitting in a meditative, you know, in a meditation right now. And it's like these, these positive kind of endearing, mm-hmm. this is where we're going to focus. This is where we're going to guide you. Yeah, I can see why, you know, there, there's like this, this gift of, of like, there's a soothing mm-hmm. to you. I don't know. If, you. I don't know if your clients have ever said that. They do. You know, like there's almost like a soothing, like you're, you're giving permission. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a permission. I'm, a, I'm permitting you to kind of go there. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right. That I'm, I'm sitting here with you and I'm being open and I want to connect with you and I'm being present, right? Not being present. 
Sorry, you say things and then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, Okay, so let's talk about being present. Right. Our devices. Yes. Do you ever, I'm wondering, like, are there clients that come in and be like, they're addicted to their phone. So So whatever attention they were, that eye contact that we used to have Mm -hmm. is gone. Mm -hmm. These devices are, are robbing us of our interaction. Yes. Yes. All the time. So many people. And I will also say for myself, when I got my screen time notice, oh, no way. That's not possible. Right? Yeah. Our devices are taking us away from just being in the moment and living, living, you know, living your life. Right? That's this piece of you wanting to do that here. Mm-hmm. Put your phones down. Turn them off. Just be in whatever it is that's happening in your life. But going back to that emotional piece, people don't want to feel that. They will do anything possible to not feel anxious, to not feel sad, to not feel pain. And going on our phones is one of those ways to keep those emotions away. Has that has a phone been brought up as kind of a top three issue when you sit in with, a, with patients? Absolutely. Yes. The phone. Yep. The phone whether it's the iPad or the computer or the phone, whatever technology that's in front of us. And we used to think that TV was kind of part of that, but it's just, it's a different level. It's this ability to get information at any way you want, right? Like for me, television is like you tune out. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Mm -hmm. you just need to tune out. I'm not tuned out when I'm on my phone. I'm actually Mm -hmm. tuned in to things that are, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. that That I'm either interested in or that I don't even realize that you're looking at. That I'm scrolling through. Right. Yeah. Um, there's research showing that you are actually getting hits of dopamine to your brain when you're on social media. And that's the feel-good horror, feel-good chemical, right? That every time you go on there, someone likes something or you see that little red thing, it's a hit of dopamine. feels good. Oh, look. Isn't that good? And so it, it keeps us doing it, right? Where can the dopamine be created in a relationship for a, a couple that is trying to recreate mm-hmm. the feel good? Yeah. Because it takes a trigger, right? It's, it's a hard switch to go from taking the, the steps to come into an office to say, we have a problem, mm-hmm. to initiating the dopamine, the good things yeah. that are going to come out of it. Because I'm sure it's not just with emotions, but then it becomes with touch and it becomes with intimacy. You know, right. like that's also got to be like a domino effect downwards and then it's got to be the domino effect building it back up absolutely you have to start somewhere remember what i said earlier how couples are cyclical and that there's no start or ending with where they fight it's not a causes b it's a to b b to a back and forth and somebody has to start somewhere sit down at dinner and share one emotion a day and when one person shares it, this is actually a homework that I give to many of my couples in those first sessions. Um, one person shares an emotion. And I also talk about, don't just sit in frustration. We often talk, ah, I was so frustrated. Expand that emotion. Google the emotion wheel and look up all of the emotions that are in there and start talking about something that happened in the day. I felt sad. I felt pain. I felt fear. I was excited. Share one emotion. And then your partner's job is to understand that and kind of explode it. Ask all the questions. Where did you feel that? What were you doing? Who were you with? What did you feel? What did you think then? Have you ever felt that way before? Right? And putting the devices away, carving out time where you're not on your phones. 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Put your phones away. Reconnect during the day and share something inside of you. That's one way to start. Can you give me other homework assignments that you have? (laughs) No, I'm serious. Like, you know, like I want, uh, yeah, I want to see that. So 
when you first started dating, you probably greeted each other at the door, right? All the time. Or you're excited to text each other. Oh, look, our phone, right? Who who called me? Who said, you know, we were on MSN Messenger back then. Um, and, and just renew that. Start doing that. We take our partners for granted, especially as the years go on. Um, one exercise homework, top the dog. You know how you have a dog and he's the first to greet you at the door. Do you have a dog? I don't. Mm-hmm. I have a dog. He loves to beat all of us to the door. Now it's not just the dog. The two kids are running mm-hmm. to the door and I'm at the back. <laughs> I'm trying to make space for myself. Top the dog. Get to your partner at the front of the door. Whoever is home already, go and greet your partner. Give them a kiss. Give them a hug. Start putting those things back into your day. That's a great way to start building connection. Or if you're out just going to get groceries or something, do it together. Hold hands. Hold each other's hand. Or offer to, you know, even just rub rub hands together, right? If we're going to sit and watch TV together, find some way to connect. Points those, of are, those, are, those are three easy mm-hmm. things right now yep. that someone can do. That you could do right now. Right now. That's the right now. Right now. Yeah, do it today. And the other thing is nobody is right or wrong. Everybody has their own experience in a relationship. And that the key to a really healthy relationship is understanding what your partner's experience is and then helping them understand yours and then finding a way to kind of create this world together, right? It's not you against them, but that's what happens in relationships. We were once on a team at the beginning We gave each other permission. We had so much respect for each other. And that's what was exciting and nurturing and um, secure in some way. But then we start to play volleyball on the opposite side, right? And so you only see the ball coming at you. And someone has to make the decision. Just take the risk. Go on the other side. Play the game together. That volleyball analogy is really good. Mm -hmm. Because... And I think a couple feels successful if they haven't dropped the ball. Mm, right. You know, like it's just okay. We've managed. Like we're 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 volleying. It's going back and forth. Right. At least we haven't dropped the ball. Yeah. You know, like that for them that could be success. Sure. But you're saying work work on it together. Be At on, least the, same on team. the same team. Be on the same team. Yeah. I'll take your analogy and take it. So be on yeah. the same team and right. Because in volleyball, it's three passes and then over. Yeah. So be on the same team and then put it back to everybody else. So as a couple, put each other in a bubble. You are a unit. Your partner has to be your top priority. If you are sending, um, say, texts to your best friend, if I tell my best friend everything about my day, I have nothing left to give to my partner. We need to nurture that bond first, right? Or um, when it comes to family, um, being able to, you know, look after each other before then looking after parents or in-laws. Oh my God, I can't imagine what that those sessions must be like <laughs> <laughs> when, the, when the, the couple's actually doing quite well and then you add in the, like, Add in the outside factors, uh, add in religion, add in family Mm -hmm. beliefs, add in the change of uh, two families from very different backgrounds. Right. So Leanne, we know, okay. So like I was just, I've just, (laughs) I've been here just thinking like simple. I mean, and then you could just complicate it a thousand times over. The, The research shows four things that couples often fight about, sex, kids, finances, and extended family. And what I've learned- Okay. I'm going to start it. <laughs> Veronica's just lost it here on the other side. 
Is that like 25%? Like, I mean, you just listed four. Yes. Is it like split around like 25% around the wheel? Is it? Mm, it was. Probably not, no. How would you say it usually comes in? I think that all depends on the couple. Um, it was sex. Sex. Children. Children. Yeah. Finances, finances. Extended family. Extended family. Okay. Those are the top four things that yeah, couples fight well, about. You could I cover wouldn't say that it's like twenty five percent of yeah. which one. Every person's wheel is going mm-hmm. to be different. The challenge, though, is that when I'm in the room with a couple, I don't see that. Right? I see something different. I see the stuff underneath that. I see the woman saying that I don't feel like I'm your number one because you always want to be at your mother's house. Just an example. And then I see him, you know, maybe he gets defensive and says, well, you know, we have to spend time with family. So what else do you think we're going to do? But then I also hear him saying, I'm trying so hard and I just can never get this right with you. And it's, I just need to know that somewhere I can get this right. And she's longing for a connection and he's trying to also get a connection. There's stuff underneath that. So while we have all these topics these different areas that couples fight in, oftentimes it's the stuff underneath. How are you connecting with your partner? How do you reach for each other? Going back to that ARE conversation. The ARE. Are you there? Will you respond, respond to me? And are we, are you, can you engage? Yeah, can you engage with me? Can you put your phone down and give me that time? Are people able to do this on their own? Or mm-hmm. like how often can you say that you can give these tips and someone will listen to this and be like, okay, I can do some of these things. Because some of the things you've said today, mm-hmm. absolutely people can go home yep. and do this. Yes, absolutely. When can people not do this on their own? When they have been struggling in relationship to stress for a really long time. It's hard, right? You think of trying to change anything that you've been doing for a really long time. That's when it's hard. When there's a lot of resentment between partners, that's also when it's really hard. Someone said to me, uh, or gosh, maybe I read this on an Instagram quote page. You know, <laughs> we, if, we, if we know how hard it is to change ourselves mm-hmm. and change our own behaviors and our own patterns, how are we thinking that it's not going to be as hard for the expectation that the other person change? Right. So that's a slippery slope. We can't expect other people to change. We, we, we have no control over that. And that is something that you have to accept. And you can do your work in a relationship. So I'm thinking of a couple. You can do your work to change what it is that you do and gain insights. But at the end of the day, you can't change your partner if they are not willing to. What we know, though, is that as one person in a dynamic changes, often the other person does change in response. But... Again, if you're in a relationship hoping your partner will change, there might need to be some acceptance in there. Of course, individual factors matter. There's a lot. And how much does an individual factor come into play? Where you have a couple come in and they have some of these issues, right? Of the four, let's go, the intimacy, the children, the finances. and And then you realize as you talk with each individual that there is something that is triggering or something far deeper that you're able to say, let's just focus on A, on person A for a bit, Mm -hmm. because unless person A is, we deal with this, nothing's going to shift in the, in the relationship aspect. Yes. Yep. Sometimes people will do both at the same time. They'll do couples work at the same time as individual work as well. That happens. More so often than not. 
It's hard to say. I would say half and half. Sometimes it's just the couple that they decide to come in and they do the work, or sometimes they do the both. And, and the thing too, though, is that going to couples therapy, you're also doing work on yourself while you're in that in that couple space. So learning to share your needs, learning where things come from, learning where you learned that you know you you weren't good enough, and how to share that, and how to start to change that in therapy. So there is definitely the individual work that you're doing in couples but then also that couple piece. The article that I had read on, on your site was a couple coming in prior to marriage. Mm -hmm. So what is your take on knowing all of the factors or as many of the factors uh, prior to entering into marriage? And then how far in can you sit? Like, it's almost like upkeep. We keep up our cars. We take them in for maintenance. Yeah. Like, is there something to doing this maintenance mm -hmm. on probably your biggest investment yes. that you make? Of course. Absolutely. Um, I wish that article, I know exactly which one you're thinking of. I wish I could see every couple before they get married because you can learn so much about each other. And the other other piece around that is that there's so much stigma around going to therapy. And really, therapy is for everyone. I've seen that one on Instagram. Therapy yeah, is for everyone. <laughs> and it is. And if I could see couples before they get married, before they get into these entrenched patterns, right, these really rigid patterns, then I think that they could have a lifetime of love. Does that mean they're going to struggle yeah, because people struggle and things change. We think of the big events that happen, right? Um, a loss of a loved one, a miscarriage, a birth, a welcoming a baby, um, a loss of a job. There are all of these events that happen in our, in our life that we have no control over. And if we can shore up our relationship and be in a really good space, then we can get through those difficulties or we can go back in and get that maintenance. So the couples that I do see early on, we do a lot of learning and understanding about each other individually, um, where they learn some of those beliefs. Uh, the you know Maybe the belief that um, they're not there for me or that there's something wrong with me. We can work on that and learn to communicate that between each other. We learn, we do communication skills. So talking about I feel and moving away from patterns like criticism or defensiveness. We also talk about emotional validation, how to validate your partner, how to prepare for transitions like having a baby, blending families. And then if they could come for the maintenance piece, it would just be, you know, kind of check boxes, right? But it's important for everybody to do that. But we get stuck into the, we are not going to go until we are at rock bottom and then we go. And if you wait that long, therapy will take longer. You're, you're pushing off the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I, I wasn't going to go here, but I think I am because we've, we've hit on so many other things. But a lot of the times when you're going through this these scenarios, infidelity mm -hmm. has to come in yeah. to play, right? And it then does. and And so you can avoid it and you can, I can avoid this topic, but I think it needs to all come together. Right. And so... I would have I would thought sometimes in that four that you listed the what the issues become mm -hmm. it becomes that you fall out of love or you fall in love with someone else like mm -hmm. how difficult is that when there's still when there's still a family that wants to stay together or mm -hmm. a person that's just like no get out yeah. you know like how do you deal with that as I'm sure 
um, it's been an experience in your office. Absolutely. Um, a frequent experience in my office, whether someone's coming individually or as a couple. Um, this is really an individual choice, um, a couple choice of whether you decide to stay or whether you decide to go. My understanding of infidelity is that, yes, there is um, an injurer, so that's the partner who has stepped out. And that hurts. That That's really hard. And But I also know that in a relationship where infidelity happens is that there was a lot of emotional disconnection or something else between those partners. So that while the one person stepped out, what else was going on with the other partner? And that's not to blame the other partner in terms of that infidelity, but to look at what was happening in the relationship that was leading this person to step out. Is there a better success at people staying together when they're having able to have that dialogue? Or are there aspects where people just don't want to have the dialogue? They prefer not to. I mean, that depends on the person. And I would say that if you're open and if you're wanting to, and to know that you can work through infidelity. Couples do all the time. And that sometimes over time, over a lot of work and healing, they come to tell the narrative of their story um, that we are a stronger and more connected couple because of what happened. The analogy I like to use is if something really difficult happens in your relationship, um, you know, someone was sick and your partner wasn't there for you, infidelity, um, a loss, something big. If you and your partner miss each other in that your partner wasn't there for you or something really hard happens if you don't heal that event it's kind of like every time you go to fight a book falls off the bookshelf and lands right to that page where it says you did this so we have to work through this stuff we have to address it we can't bottle it down or shove it away which is what's so interesting a book falls off the shelf and it lands on that same page every time Just like like so many little things, eh? For for ev- for everything and, and your thoughts of of life and and how you deal with situations, yeah, and and issues. Hmm. And if if there's anything that I've really come to learn is that our emotions are so important to us, and we've learned so hard all of these strategies to get away from our emotions. Don't feel them. Bottle them up, and they have to come out in some way. So for some people, they become really anxious or they become depressed or they overwork or they become super caregivers because they're ignoring their internal experience. They've been told, don't listen to it and then don't tell anybody. And overcompensate? Overcompensate or undercompensate. Sure. All kinds of strategies. And yet emotions are like, you know, that a bottle. And I love analogies. I use analogies all the time when I'm trying to talk about things. It's like, you know, that boiling pot of water, you hold down that lid. And what happens when you hold down that lid? The emotions are still there. The water is boiling and it has to come out in some way. And what's healthy is lifting the lid, letting some steam out, putting it back on. And oftentimes if we don't feel our emotions, talk about them, share them with other people, connection is really important. If we hold down that lid, it boils over into something else. Anger, we blow our top. Depression, grief, all kinds of things. I'm interested to see how you're able to connect like this through 
like your podcast in mm-hmm. in terms of subject matters. So I think it's going to be really interesting because it hasn't come out yet. It hasn't come out yet. It's coming out soon. I know. It's because you've done a whole bunch of segments already. Yes. How did you go about planning what you wanted to discuss and how you wanted to, as you mentioned at the top of this podcast, make it more accessible mm-hmm. to everyone? You said therapy is expensive. Yes. But there's a way to get this information out. Right. Um so in terms of how I just decided mm-hmm. on the topics, yeah, um, what are people struggling with? What are the themes that I'm seeing in my therapy room? And then taking those as topics and finding guests to come on and talk about them, finding people who are really powerful in what they're doing. You know, I think of someone like you, Leanne, you'd be a great contributor to have on my podcast. Um, but to just talk about being human mm-hmm. and having a human experience and Actually, one of the pieces that really led me to do this was that I was getting a lot of feedback saying, oh, you're a psychologist, you probably never struggle with this. Or, oh, you're a psychologist, you probably have a great relationship and you never get angry with your husband. And actually, I'm human too. So the foundation of the, the podcast is to let you know that I too am human and we're going to have a human connection through the episodes. Where can people find it? When is it coming out? You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay. Um, and the title is I'm Not Your Shrink. And it is intended to help people. It's geared towards women, but I also have episodes that men can also benefit from listening to. Um, it's geared to help you change the dialogue in your life, to live a meaningful life and a whole life. Um, and it is coming out on February 19th. Okay. So I'm very excited for that. So in just a couple of days, uh, I'm Not Your Shrink. I'm Not Your Shrink. Uh, is going to be the, is the title of the podcast, which has yes. a number of episodes ready to go. And uh, you have your website too. I think that's I, I kind of went and, and Google stalked you and stuff on there. Where yeah. can people find you? So you can find me at drtracyd.com or you can also find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I love to hear from people. So if you have an episode that you'd you'd want to hear addressed by a psychologist, um, please send me an email. Reach out to me. Yeah, it would be great to get topic ideas. Yes. It could be endless. Yes. Well, I'm just thinking here. I mean, I could have come up with 20 of them, but then I have to cut off. (laughs) I think we need to have more conversations. Because it's amazing how fast an hour (laughs) goes by. Uh, Tracy, it was a pleasure to have you on with me. I want people to know that they can find this. I think your podcast is going to be great. Lots of fantastic you, uh, topics and and what a great concept behind it. And I like just the thought of, of opening it up that people should have access to understanding this information rather than always needing to pay you yes. know, the absolutely the it, couple hundred dollars it is to sit to sit in an office right now to, right. to be able to do that. So you have that. You have my podcast, which continues to kind of bring in these guests so that you can feel like you have the information and that information is out there. Please, if you can, subscribe, like, share, let people know that this podcast is out there and be able to kind of get that message out that there are topics, there are questions that are being asked to help you live that better life. So that is another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Thanks for listening. And If you are celebrating on this Valentine's Day, just make sure you kind of look them in the eye and be like, I appreciate you. You are worthy to me. You matter. And give them permission to make mistakes. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Leanne. All right. That's a wrap. I'm 
Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.